Our scripture today is from Mark chapter 12, verses 38 through 44. And in his teaching he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Well, let's, let's pray. Father God, as we come before your word right now, Lord, what we desire is we desire to adore you and to behold you and to know you, to see and taste that you are good. So, Lord, as we continue our time of worship, preaching your word and receiving it, Lord, may you be glorified. May you be front and center. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, church. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 12. Uh, Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 38, is where we're going to be this morning as we continue preaching through the gospel according to Mark. And as always, if you uh, don't have a Bible or forget to grab your Bible, we've got Bibles in the back, got Bibles out in the lobby, and encourage you to pick up one on your way, on your way in. Well, over the last uh, couple of days, Britt and I have been, uh, we traveled back to Cedarville for our 10-year uh, college reunion. And it was a great time uh, getting to go back to Cedarville and getting to see some friends and, and catch up. And we got to take the boys there, uh, which they'd never been there before. So they got to see where we went to chapel and they got to eat in the cafeteria that we ate in. Uh, and they got to see where we took our long romantic walks around Cedar Lake as we kindled our love for one another. Uh, now, don't worry, it's a Christian school, so we had to leave room for the Holy Spirit um, until we were married, right? And then we got to show them uh, married housing, uh, which uh, a 300-square-foot apartment, it sounds big at first, uh, and it seemed big back then, but it actually looks much smaller than I remember it being. Uh, but we got to show the boys around, and they got to, they got to see kind of all the places we used to go. Uh, but not only was that a place where we got to kindle our love for one another, but we kindled, got to kindle our love for God. Uh, we enjoyed uh, being a part of the chapel experience every day and taking Bible classes and being around other young men and women who love Jesus. Uh, I often describe it to people, it was like four years of church camp, uh, only with some studying mixed in and a lot more debt when you left. Um, but other than that, it was great. And, uh, but it reminded me that there was this guy in college uh, that really wanted to be on the basketball team, uh, but he never made the team. 
And so instead, he would just act like he was on the team. And this was sort of upsetting to some of us that were actually on the team because he would just pretend like he was. And so he would do certain things to make it seem like he was on the team. Like somehow he, he managed to get an old practice jersey and he would wear it around campus or he'd wear it uh, at the rec center and he would talk and he would act like he was on the team. He would come with the team to the cafeteria to eat before the game and then on away games, he wouldn't ride, you know, in the team bus because he wasn't on the team, but he would drive his car and he would meet the team bus as we arrived at the other gym and he would get out of his car and he'd walk in the gym with us off of the team bus. And so uh, a lot of people just started to assume that he was on the team and they asked, hey, why don't we ever see him uh, in the games? And I would say, uh, because he's not on the team. And I would kind of get frustrated by that. Like he's not on the team. Now listen, I'm sure, I mean, he was a nice guy. I'm sure he turned out to be a great guy. But for the sake of an illustration, all right, in that specific situation, uh, he was what some would call a poser. A poser, all right? Do you guys know what a poser is? A poser, according to the Urban Dictionary, which is a very official dictionary, uh, it says a poser is someone who tries way too hard to be something they're not and at the same time fails while doing it. Okay, a poser is someone who tries way too hard to be something they're not and at the same time fails while doing it. And we all, we all know uh, posers uh, in, our, in our life, right, in our different spheres that we, we live in. And if we could be honest, that we've all been posers at some point uh, in our life. Maybe you went through like a middle school skateboarding phase or something like that, right? Like we've all, we've all lived that to, to some degree. And in fact, there was even a whole town in Northern Ireland uh, that was a poser, okay? Back in June of 2013, the world's eight most powerful leaders gathered in a town called Enniskillen, Ireland for the G8 summit, okay? So guests included Barack Obama, uh, German Chancellor Angela Merkel, Russian President Vladimir Putin, all right? But, but here's, here's why I'm calling this town a poser. And if you're, and if you're from Enniskillen, Ireland, my apologies, uh, this is is not meant to be a personal shot at you. Uh, but you see, this town that they were all gathering in was not doing that well. And many businesses had gone bankrupt, and therefore on their main street, a lot of the, the businesses that you would drive past, they were actually empty and abandoned. Uh, some of the construction projects had just been stopped because the town didn't have any more money. Uh, but what the image-conscious uh, village leaders wanted to do was to make it appear like it was all fine and dandy when the G8 summit met there. And so they decided to fill the storefronts with large photographs and images in the windows so it looked like, if you just drove past quickly and glanced, it looked like there was a thriving business in those shops when, in fact, there was nothing on the inside. And so I have an example here of some pictures. So this is a, a a bookstore, right? And some of you might be able to see that, but, but you know, as you're driving past and you glance over, you think, oh, a bookstore. But that's actually just a, a, a picture of a bookstore that's put on the storefront window. And if you got inside, you would see there are no books. Uh, here's another example in that town. It looks like a butcher shop, right? And from the road, you're like, wow, look at all that. That would be awesome. Uh, but then you got inside and there's nothing on the inside. Or here's another one. And this was an abandoned construction project. Don't mind the abandoned construction project. Look at, look at this beautiful scenery down here, though. They're trying to draw your eye away from what they don't want you to see. 
And so in reality, this town was not doing very well, but for this one week, they really wanted to appear like they were a thriving, healthy, growing town. They were being a poser. And you see, Jesus in our passage today, he's going to essentially say, watch out for religious posers. Watch out for religious posers. He's going to tell us to beware of those who are pretending to be on God's team, but in fact are not. Sure, they like to come on Sunday mornings and fill church seats. They like to come onto your TV and hold Bibles in their hands. But he says, do not be led astray by these religious posers. But listen, if you think that you're off the hook this morning, you're not, uh, because we need to study this just as much as the religious leaders of this day needed to study this, because I believe the Lord's going to unearth and unroot how we can all, at times, be like these religious posers that we're going to see this morning. But then, then in the end, if you hang with me, there is some very, very good news coming, because there is some very, very good news for posers like you and me. So are you guys ready? All right, let's go. Mark 12, verse 38. Mark 12, verse 38. And in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Now remember who the scribes are. The scribes were one of the religious leaders of the day, and they were experts in the law. Uh, in the New Testament, lawyer and scribe are used interchangeably, and many of them were part of the sect called the Pharisees. And a scribe was like a Torah professor and a civil lawyer combined. They knew all the rules. They were experts in the law. And most people honored them. They really thought highly of them. But Jesus here is saying something different. He's saying, no, 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 beware of the scribes. Like, watch out for the scribes. And the word beware is literally to discern with your mind. Like, discern, like, discern with your mind the way of the scribes. Watch out, beware. And then he says, this is what the scribes are like. Number one, he says the scribes, they, they like to walk around in long robes. Now, you might be thinking, what's God got against long robes? I mean, maybe you like to wear a robe at your house. Uh, maybe you like to wear a Snuggie at Citigroup like the Cotaspotes do at ours. Uh, but regardless, like Jesus is not saying anything against those long <laughs> robes, all right? Sorry, I just had to throw that in there, okay? Uh, but you see, it was customary for Jews to put on what are called prayer shawls, okay? Uh, and so when they prayed, they would put on these prayer shawls. And the reason that they did this was initially being obedient to what God had commanded them in Numbers chapter 15. And they were, put, they were to put tassels on these prayer shawls at the bottom of their robes to identify themselves as those who gave their attention to God. But the scribes, they took this a step further, and they had these special prayer shawls with extra tassels and little doodads and, and extra patches and bling and things like that to get, to get attention from people. Imagine like an Eagle Scout with patches from head to toe, like all over, like all the things they had accomplished. And their robes, their robes were so long that they touched the ground so that you often couldn't see their feet, so it didn't appear like they were even walking. They were just kind of floating 
floating on air because their robes just kind of were so long and trailed behind them. And the prayer shawls of the scribes, they were so special and elaborate that it got, it got people's attention. And people would assume, because of their appearance, that they must be extra holy and extra special. These long robes that they had, they were merely for appearance's sake. They made them appear like they were on God's team, when in fact they were not. And what else does Jesus say that the scribes are like? Number two, he says, they like greetings in the marketplaces. When Britt and I first moved to Franklin, uh, what kind of threw us off guard was that whenever people drive or walk past you, uh, they always will smile and wave here in Franklin. Uh, uh, coming from the south side of Indy and being a little calloused and kind of toughened up from the streets of south side Indy, uh, we weren't sure what this was all about. Like we were, you know, used to being skeptical of someone smiling and waving at you. But in Franklin, and especially for those of you who have just moved to Franklin, like it is expected that you smile and wave if anyone passes by on the street, whether you're mowing the lawn or pulling weeds or anything, get ready to smile and wave because that's what they're expecting. So that's not the greeting that Jesus is talking about here either. What he's talking about is these scribes, when they would walk down the street, they would like people to rise to their feet to honor them. When they entered a room, they wanted people to give them like a special introduction. Like when they entered a room, they wanted someone to be like, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we have uh, the most honorable, exemplary, distinguished, knowledgeable rabbi. And then, then he would enter in, right? That's the kind of greetings they liked. They liked that stuff. They liked public recognition. They liked being honored and complimented. Jesus also said that the scribes liked, they liked to have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts. The synagogue where the Jews would gather for their worship gatherings would often have benches around uh, the edge of the synagogue, and all the common people would sit on the ground. Uh, but the, the scribes, they liked to sit on the benches, or they liked to sit in big uh, chairs up in front facing the people. And these were places of honor that they would sit. It, they would be distinguished. They would be recognized. They liked the best places uh, at the table of, of feast. They, they wanted to be at the head table. You wouldn't find them at the kids' table. They had to be at the head table, the most distinguished table. And Jesus also said that the scribes, they liked to give long prayers. Long prayers. They liked to show off to people by using big theological terms when they prayed. They weren't necessarily concerned about the one they were praying to, but they, they wanted to use prayer to kind of show off to people about how smart and religious they were. And so, so far, Jesus is saying, beware or watch out for these religious posers. They like to appear holy. They like to be recognized as holy. They like compliments and respect. They like to appear like they are godly. They like to appear like they are a part of God's team. But in fact, they are not, because look at verse 40. Look what they do. Beware of these posers, because verse 40, look what they do. Who devour widows' houses. You see, this is such a sad and despicable thing when people pretending to be on God's team take advantage of the most vulnerable in society. 
In, in that culture and in that society, the most vulnerable groups were, were foreigners, were orphans, and were widows. And these groups in that time didn't always have the means or the ability to work and provide for themselves. But God, all throughout the Old Testament, had given instructions about how the people and the leaders should take care of the foreigner and the orphan and the widow. And just one example of many, it comes from Deuteronomy 26, 12, which we'll have here up on the screen. And it says, When you have finished paying all the tithe of your produce in the third year, which is the year of tithing, giving it to the Levite, the one doing ministry, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat within your towns and be filled. And all throughout the Old Testament, we see God instructing his people to take care of the most vulnerable, to take care of the orphan and the widow. But what was happening was these scribes or these lawyers, these experts in the law, they would see a widow uh, with an estate and they would offer to help her with the legality of estate planning because they're experts in the law, right? But what they would often do is they would cheat the widow out of what was hers and they would often do this under the name of religion. They would do this under the name of devotion to God. And many of the widows, feeling vulnerable and afraid and scared, they'd be easily deceived by these honored experts that they looked up to. And these leaders of theirs, instead of caring for the widows like God had instructed them to, they instead took advantage of widows for selfish gain. And church, the sad thing is this is still happening today. I would bet if you would go home right now and turn on the TV. Now, I'm not saying every preacher on TV is bad. But I, I would bet if you turned on the TV, there are numerous posers right now preaching on TV. Pretending to be on God's team, who are all about appearances, who, who like the recognition, who like to be honored, uh, who like compliments, and are right now, they are using religion to not take care of people, but to actually take advantage of people. They're using God's word and, 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 and Christianity, they're using it to take advantage of the vulnerable instead of to take care of the vulnerable, which is what we were called to do. And to, to prey on the vulnerable is such a cowardly and such an evil thing to do. And working in the medical office that I work in, I, I get to see a lot of widows, and I hear what they are listening to, and I hear what they are reading, and I hear who they are sending their money to, and it both hurts me and it stirs up something in me. Like, I, I think it does. It stirs up a righteous anger towards anyone who, in the name of religion or spirituality, would take advantage of people. And then Jesus gives a pretty big warning to these posers in verse 40. He says, they will receive the greater condemnation. And James, he gives a similar warning to all people who teach God's word, which it's a very sobering verse for me to read or even reflect on. But in James chapter 3, verse 1, he writes, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. 
That's a hard one to read. That one's not on too many seminary or uh, Bible college application forms. It's not on too many promotional, like, let's get you uh, called and get you in the ministry. It probably should be, though. But now don't, don't for a second look at these posers and leadership and look at these televangelists and think that you are immune to having the same posture as the scribes had. Like what? You, you don't like to appear better than you really are? You don't like honor and recognition? You don't like compliments? You aren't ever tempted to take advantage of people instead of serving people? You don't get nervous to pray in public? Why? Not because you're afraid to talk to God, but you're afraid of what everyone else might think of you as you pray. Church, yes, there are posers in leadership, but our churches are filled with posers as well. And in our own hearts, We've all been posers at times. And this warning that Jesus gives to watch out for posers is the same warning that we need to hear today. But, but we, we probably need a little bit more help in how to spot a poser. Okay? We need a little bit more help in how we can, we can spot one. And Paul, when writing to Timothy, he gives us a little bit of a warning in, in how we can uh, spot a poser. A little bit more details in 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5. And he writes, he says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, you know, actually, we probably don't. This doesn't really relate to us. We don't need this. I'm just kidding. Verse 2. Lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. What does Paul tell Timothy to do? Does he tell him to put him in leadership? No, he says, avoid such people. Avoid such people. Now, listen, God uh, does not command us to avoid unbelievers and to avoid non-Christians. Not at all. And side note, we should not be offended or surprised when someone not following Jesus acts like they're not following Jesus. Okay, I don't know why we're so quick to be offended by that. They're actually living consistently, which is more than we can say a lot of times, all right? But what Jesus and Paul warn us against are being around people who have the appearance of godliness, but deny its power. God's telling us to beware and watch out for and avoid those who pretend to be on the team, but in fact are not. How, how can you spot a Christian poser, though? Well, for starters, they'll be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, Arrogant, abusive, 
Like, like no form of abuse will be tolerated here, whether it's uh, emotional, physical, sexual. I believe God can save anyone, but if you're prone to abuse other people, I think I can say you're probably not yet on God's team, and I'll pray that God will save you, but abuse will not be tolerated here. How, how can you spot a Christian poser? Well, they'll also be ungrateful and unholy and heartless and unappeasable and slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. We are to avoid such people that come to church and pray long prayers like the scribes did for appearance's sake, to try to show off their spirituality. We are to avoid people that want to make it known how much they serve and how much they give, and they want to be recognized and honored for being a good Christian. Jesus says, beware, watch out. Paul says, avoid them. The storefront window might look nice, but you get inside and you see the heart is not controlled by a love of God, but it is controlled by a love of self. And in my opinion, one of the most common ways we can see and we can spot this posing of the scribes play out in our hearts and in the hearts of church-going people, it's when people are motivated by the question, what can I get? What can I get? What can I get from God? I mean, the scribes, listen, they liked being scribes because of what they could get from it. If you were a scribe, you could get one of those special long robes that made you look holy and appear good. You could get recognition. You could get the most honored seat. You could get financial gain and celebrity status. People would trust you with their money and with their estates. But listen, just because you're not a scribe, don't think your heart doesn't have a similar desire. Many of us, right, when we pick, maybe just for example, when we pick a church, we go to a church for what we can get from the church, right? That's a question we ask. What can I get from this church? What kind of teaching can I get? What kind of friends can I get? What kind of ministries for my kids can I get from this church? What can I get? And we don't just ask this about church. We ask this in marriage when we are picking a spouse. What can I get from this spouse? What kind of affection can I get from my spouse? What kind of affirmation can I get? What kind of friendship and financial stability can I get? And then when you stop getting those things or you stop getting one of those things, you look elsewhere because posers are lovers of self and they're all about what can I get? I'm going to go find someone else to get what I can get. And we do this at work. What can I get from my job and my company? What's in it for me? We do this with friends. What can I get out of this friendship? We do this in all areas of life. A poser asks the question, what can I get? But what we're about to see is that a possessor of the kingdom asks, what can I give? A poser asks the question, what can I get? But a possessor of the kingdom asks, what can I give? L look back at Mark 12, verse 41. 
And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor, woman, a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which makes a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Okay, I think I'm about to preach this a little different than maybe you've heard or read this before. So stick, stick with me, okay? Uh, because I do think there is a lesson here about sacrificial giving, which is usually where people go to first with this passage. I think the rest of the Bible supports the lesson on sacrificial give, giving, but I don't think that's mainly what this passage is teaching us. So I, I, I don't think you get in this passage uh, like just saying, uh, okay, the widow gave all she had, you go and do likewise. I don't think that's how this passage is meant to work out. So everyone can loosen the grip on their wallet a little bit. I'm not coming after it uh, like you thought I might have after we read that passage, okay? But let's, let's first understand what's going on here. Jesus is with his disciples in the temple, right? He's just taught them, beware of the scribes who are uh, taking advantage of widows, right? And now it transitions to they're watching uh, uh, people giving offerings in the temple. And, and there in the temple, there were these 13 what were called trumpet chests, okay? They looked like trumpets or shofars, and that's where people put their money as an offering. There was 13 of these containers there for people to put in their money. And in that time, all men were required to give a half shekel, and that was called the temple tax. Uh, but then they were also encouraged to give free will offerings above and beyond the temple tax. And so when people ask me what I think about free will, uh, I tell them I'm 100% for free will offerings, right? And the box is right in the back, all right? I'm, I'm all for that. Uh, but listen, God had instructed his people uh, to, to, to give financially to provide for the building of the temple and, and its, its structure, as well as to provide for those who do ministry in the temple, as well as then to provide for the most vulnerable in society, the sojourner or the, the immigrant, the foreigner, and the orphan and the widow. And Jesus and his disciples, they were watching many rich people put in large sums of money, which they should be doing. And then they watch a poor widow come and put in two small copper coins, which, which one copper coin was worth less than one one-hundredth of a denarius, and a denarius was half the value of the half-shekel temple tax. If you didn't follow the math there, this was a very, very small offering that she gave. A very, very small financial offering she gave. And Jesus says this poor widow has put in more than all those who have contributed to the offering. Now, now what's the takeaway? Is the takeaway widows go and do the same thing? Like widows, go give all you have to the televangelist. Go give to the church the very last of your savings, and God will bless you. No, this is not primarily a prescriptive passage. This is a descriptive passage. 
Jesus is not saying, go widows and orphans and give all you have to the church or the temple. No, he's just warned us about religious posers. Now, now he's showing us who the victims of those posers are. Because the offering was supposed to support the temple and those who ministered in the temple and the foreigners and the orphans and the widows. And so you've probably heard this preached in the past that the widow is now our example for sacrificial giving. And you probably think that I'm going to preach, okay, now you should go put everything you have to live on in the offering box. Spoiler alert, I'm not going to say that. Listen, the widow here is not primarily the hero. The widow is not the hero in the story. She is the victim of the story. She is the victim of religious posers. This is showing a first a failure of faithful leadership. The, the, the fact that she only has two copper coins to live on. Why does she only have two copper coins? What are the leaders doing? They're supposed to be taking care of the widows. It's a failure of the generosity on the part of those who can work and earn more money to produce and to give to the vulnerable. And it's a failure of the scribes who took advantage of the widows. She is the victim in the story. And in the same way in our society, the ones who get hurt the most by Christian posers, right, people who ask, what can I get? The main ones that get hurt are the ones that the offering was supposed to support, right? Places of worship get abandoned or unkept. Pastors can't be paid in ministry. Uh, immigrants, refugees aren't cared for. Orphans are neglected. Widows are neglected. They now have to turn to the government or other institutions for help because God's people have failed to give generously and sacrificially to take care of the most vulnerable in society. Posers will have victims. Posers will have victims. Living with the mentality of what can I get? That mentality, what can I get? It will hurt the people that Jesus is calling you to help. Let me share with you some statistics about financial giving to churches. Charitable giving is up in the U.S., which is a good thing, but the percentage of that giving going to churches has dropped from 53% in 1987 to 32% in 2015. There's been more giving going to non-religious organizations or to parachurch ministries or missionaries, and as a result, the giving to churches has dropped from 53% down to 32 Tithers, which are people that we'd consider giving 10% of their income to the church or higher, only make up 10 to 25% of any congregation. On average, Christians give 2.5% of their income to churches, which I don't necessarily think we are bound to the 10% tithe of the Old Testament, but I think it's, it's a wise place to start. But on average, Christians give 2.5% of their income to churches. To put that in perspective, during the Great Depression, when people didn't have food, Christians gave 3.3% of their income to churches. Now listen, in general, I do not know what everyone gives 
and I'm not going through each week to see who gave what. The finance team, led by Kevin, informs the elders of any changes or issues that arise just so we know how to shepherd and love people and pastor them well. But here, listen, here's the thing about giving and financial stewardship that sets it apart from other things that you, you do in your Christian life. Like, you can't fake it. You can't fake giving generously and sacrificially. Like, it's, it's easy to be a Christian poser in a lot of other areas of life. We can, we can pretend to worship and not really worship. We can pretend to pray and not really pray. We can pretend to, God, to read God's word, but not really read God's word. We can pretend to love our neighbor and not really love our neighbor. We can pretend to be living for God's glory and not really be living for God's glory. But we cannot pretend to give generously and sacrificially to the Lord. Like, I, I could counsel someone for years and never really discern where their heart is, but I bet in 10 minutes of looking at their bank statement and maybe their internet search history, I bet you in 10 minutes I could discern where their heart is at and what they treasure most in life. And if I ever wanted to cut down on people that I met with, that might be a couple of good prerequisites. But listen, church, I did not come this morning to call you names like a poser. I didn't come to make you feel bad and then pass the offering box around while Kevin does special music. I didn't do that. I'm not planning on that. And so if there are aspects of your life that you've been a poser towards God or the church, I've got good news for you this morning. Jesus loves posers. Jesus loves posers. Jesus gave his life for posers. L look back at verse 44. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. The Greek word for live on is the word bios, which literally means her life. Okay, so the way Mark is writing this and describing this is so interesting because he's trying to get across to us that this poor widow gave her bios. Like she gave these two, by her putting in these two copper coins, she was essentially putting in her life into the offering box. Now, the reason that that is interesting is because Jesus is teaching this literally two to three days before he would offer up his life for posers like you and me. He would, on the cross, pay the debt that we could never afford to pay back to God. He gave up his whole life as a free will offering to God on our behalf. And by doing so, he appeased the wrath of God. And now those who would repent of their sin and trust him as their savior, he forgives all that they owed. And he then adopts us into his family. And we've now been given the kingdom of God because we are in Christ. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, 
And we're talking about something way more meaningful than money in this passage. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. You see, when posers trust and believe and rest in the gospel, they no longer have to stay posers. But instead, in Christ, they become possessors of the kingdom. And when you really embrace that you are a possessor of the kingdom, then you have been freed from the question of what can I get? That frees you from that question. What can I get from church? What can I get from marriage? What can I get from work? What can I get from friends? The gospel frees you from that. Posers live life asking that question, what can I get? Possessors of the kingdom live life asking the question, what can I give? Followers of Jesus, you have been united with Christ in his death and resurrection, and you are united with him in all the splendor of his kingdom. You no longer have to worry or fret or stress about what can I get because God has already given you the best, most valuable thing in the universe. He has given you himself. And this is why Paul, when writing to the Philippians, could say in Philippians 4.19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. The more you embrace and enjoy that God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, the less you ask, what can I get? And the more you ask, what can I give? What can I give to my spouse? What can I give to my work? What can I give to my friends? What can I give to my church? Church, beware of posers. Trust Jesus and become a possessor of the kingdom. We no longer have to try to get recognition or the appearance of success or holiness or honor or fame. We have received all we have and all we will ever need in Christ. You want to know who the hero of this story is? Jesus is the true and better widow who gave his life for posers like us. Receive and enjoy the offering that Jesus gave when he willingly went to the cross on our behalf. And just think, like, what what could it look like if everyone in our church lived life asking, what can we give instead of what can I get? Because we know and we rest in that we have all we need in Christ. Let's pray.